The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, you only need to check the latest news headlines to discover that the world is a little less settled and a whole lot more uncertain and many say more hostile to Christians. With wars and rumours of wars on an international level, polarisation in the culture wars increasing and cancel culture taking out people who are not politically correct. The whole world seems a whole lot less tolerant. Well, in all of the turbulence of what's happening, being a Christian in a deepening, secularized world is a growing challenge. Everyone's truth seems to be accepted, except if you are a Christian. Well, a conversation today about living out your faith in a hostile world. And our special guest is renowned Bible teacher, Bernie Dimit, who leads Christianity Works You've probably been listening to Bernie for years on A Different Perspective or on Christianity Works that you can hear Sunday's middle of the day. Bernie Diamond, our absolute privilege. Welcome back to 2020. Neil, great to be with you again. Hey, Bernie, things do appear to be getting a whole lot more hostile. I mentioned there are some big picture things like wars and there are lots of tensions. Persecution is growing. How do you see things on a big picture level? Look, you don't have to be a sociologist to figure out that the world is becoming a lot more hostile to Christianity. And the sort of Christianity that the world is becoming hostile to is biblical Christianity. The moment, but people are happy to talk about Jesus as long as there's nothing about repentance. People are happy to say, well, Jesus loves and Jesus was a great teacher. But man, Jesus calls you to some really difficult things. And the Bible has a lot to say about what's right and what's wrong. And what's right and what's wrong, according to God, hasn't changed in the last several thousand years. What's changed are our culture, um, well, the many cultures that we, we're involved in. And, uh, and people are really, really quite hostile. As you've said, uh, they're trying to shut Christians down. The Christian voice is no longer acceptable as part of the, the narrative of our nation, if I can call it that. Wow, you raise an amazingly important point here, Bernie, because there are Christians and there are Christians. As you say, there's biblical Christianity. There's that biblical Christian who is obedient to God, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Then you might even say there's like a cultural Christianity, which is living according to some level of biblical truth and principle but then there's also nominal christianity which you know christian by name but you wouldn't really notice anything different about them so where you find yourself on that sort of spectrum might be an interesting uh, position and uh, whether you might find yourself under a little more tension and hostility oh absolutely um, biblical christianity is quite different 
to cultural Christianity. J.C. Ryle, who was the first Archbishop of Liverpool back in the 1880s, and, and we're not talking our Liverpool, we're talking their Liverpool, right, um, said it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian and to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, to confess Christ requires much self-denial. And the biblical Jesus is not a very popular figure these days. People much less tolerant, and if you've got a few years behind you, you'll recognise just the way things have changed. Uh, In some sense, though, Bernie, not just for our Christian faith, uh, but for anything that go- doesn't go our, uh, the way of uh, people who might uh, see themselves, uh, you know, we might describe them as uh, beca- going a whole lot more woke, uh, doing those sorts of things that are very much materialist, uh, secularist, even atheistically minded. Uh, so anything that doesn't go their way, they're very much less tolerant of. Oh, Totally. Um, and, and there's been a very deliberate campaign in many of those quarters, um, whether it be gender issues or sexuality issues or, or other aspects of what we can, we can put in that bucket of wokeness um, to shut down the Christian voice. And I'm not sure we as Christians have really figured out what that means. I'm not sure we as the church and as individuals have figured out what it means to speak the love of Christ into that reality because I think it's coming as a shock to many people. I, I may not have as many years behind me as you, Neil, but <laughs> I remember when when my mother used to put on her, her elbow-length gloves and her hat and every Sunday my father would wear a suit and we'd toddle off to church every Sunday when I was growing up in the 1960s, which is a, a frighteningly long time ago, I might add. Um, that's, of course, not the way of the world. And as we've seen in the last couple of censuses in Australia, um, secularisation is happening at a high pace. A lot of those who previously put their hand up and said, look, I'm a Christian, nominal Christians are no longer putting their hands up. So, yeah, it's a very, very different world in which we live. And let's not forget the role of technology. I mean, 10 years ago... You couldn't have imagined that you could have the world in your hand on a mobile device. You couldn't have imagined that we could be so connected. Ten years ago, you had to be in a radio station, a television station or a newspaper to get heard. Now, every man and his dog can be heard through social media. Interesting, isn't it, Uh, reflecting on those census figures, because statistics can affect the way you think about reality, because uh, in uh, some circles, you know, you'll hear these sorts of things. Well, the church actually hasn't shrunk. Uh, We're actually hearing of churches growing and the church overall growing. But you get these sorts of figures that come from the census and you assume that somehow or other the church must be shrinking because less people are identifying as Christian. Uh, We do move towards a minority setting and uh, that might even increase the, the difficulties, the tensions and maybe some of the challenges. But the church is actually continuing to grow in Australia and uh, there are some significant things around that because the statistics make it look like it's not. 
Absolutely. Um, what's happened is it's largely those who had a nominal Christianity who use that label because that's the label their parents used, who are no longer saying on their census forms that I'm a Christian. But I think we as the church, in a hostile environment, and it truly is hostile, it's not just challenging, uh, the secular environment is hostile to the Christian faith. We're almost behaving, people like you and me, Neil, who have been around um, and who remember the good old days when everyone went to church, are almost shocked that this is happening. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. What's happening is not anything else than what Jesus predicted and what the rest of the New Testament predicts. So let's not be surprised that this is happening. Uh, let's talk a bit more context here, because uh, interestingly, uh, we can talk about the persecuted church and, uh, you know, the numbers these days uh, numbering in the hundreds of millions, more than 300 million yep. believers around the world under high levels of persecution. So when we talk about living in, say, a post-Christian culture and things are getting a little hotter, there is a hostile environment that Christians find themselves in. It's not as though we're making a comparison with what's happening in places like North Korea or in Pakistan, where people are being killed for their no. faith. So we get that sort of almost a little bit of comfort from the fact that things are not that bad, yet things are becoming more hostile, Bernie. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a little bit... I mean, here in the West, I know there are some people in this country who are doing it tough. There's no... I'm not denying that whatsoever. But by and large, we have it pretty good. You know, we consider it to be a fundamental human right to have a hot shower every morning when we get up out of bed. Well, let me tell you, that's pretty abnormal by global standards if you look at percentages of, of population. So we've had it good financially. We've had it good in terms of our democracy. You know, our government's changed in the last election and there were no men and there were no soldiers on the streets with machine guns. There was no blood in the streets. Um, one government left and another one came in. And we're very blessed to have that sort of a democracy. So I think we've been lulled into this, this sense that, uh, well, life should continue to be comfortable. But let me tell you, as Christians, life is going to become less and less and less comfortable. It's going to be harder to speak the things of God on a one-to-one -one basis or indeed in the public square. Let's get a revelation. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, and that's going to come. How bad is it going to get? Well, God willing, it won't be like North Korea. I don't think it will. But we need to have a heart for those people who are truly being persecuted. The pastors in the north of India who are being killed and their churches who are being burned. That's a reality in this world. Brings into context, doesn't it, uh, the concerns that people hold over, say, cancel culture. And, uh, you know, if you've got something to be cancelled from, maybe you're a bit more fearful of that. If, uh, if you don't have any huge reputation, maybe getting cancelled doesn't hurt so much. But over issues around, as you mentioned, uh, sexuality and gender, uh, sometimes I think right to life 
issues, people who stand for those things, they're, uh, they're subjected to a few tensions in there. And we might find ourselves uh, perhaps marginalised, uh, sneered at. There might be an insult or two that's thrown. Uh, those things, though, you might even say cancel culture, as bad as it might appear, isn't as bad as what people have got it in other parts of the world who are under more high levels of persecution. Got to get your context right, Bernie. Absolutely, without doubt. The question is, here in this country, um, what do we do with our faith in the context of cancel culture, in the context of the jamming, the, the shutting down of the Christian voice in the public square. Each one of us who believes in Jesus needs to figure out a way still to be a Christian, still to believe the Bible, but to do it in love. I love what Francis Schaeffer once said. He said, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. And in part, you see that play itself out on social media. You see um, Christians having slanging matches with those who are of different views and, and don't believe in Jesus. And I really struggle with some of the things that Christians post on social media because this, this idea that I have to be right. Well, of course, if we believe the Bible we have the truth. We have God's unchanging, loving truth. But if we use that truth to bash people over the head, I'm not sure that's necessarily what we've been called to do. Is there an attitude of the heart in that? Some will say, well, aren't we called to contend for our faith in the public square? Uh, the idea of contending for your faith uh, without having that sort of uh, reactionary sense of uh, becoming hostile ourselves. Somehow or other, I imagine you've got to work through those issues to examine the motivations of your own heart in how you do respond. I think you nailed it. It's the motivations of our heart. Sometimes, we're very tribalistic, right? As human beings are tribalistic. Um, we all love to support our local footy team, whatever code you happen to follow. My passion is, is cricket. And when we're playing the Poms, man, that's the pinnacle for me. My favourite hashtag is crush the Poms, right? Now, I mean that in a loving yeah. Christian sort of a way. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're, we're, the reason sport works as a form of entertainment is that it plays on our tribalism, that instinct of being part of a tribe. And... And as Christians, I think sometimes we can get this, this idea that our tribe has to win. Our tribe has to have supremacy in the secular narrative in our society. Like Custer and, and, and his last stand circling the wagons. Um, that's not a biblical expression of the love of God. Let's just think about this for a minute. The greatest act in all of history, was Jesus laying down his life for you and me. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter drew his sword and lobbed one of the soldiers' ears off, Jesus said, we don't do it like this. And he picked the ear up and he stuck it back on the soldier and healed him. And then when he was tried over and over again, not once did Jesus speak up for himself. And, and through the biggest loss in all of history, Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross. 
was won the greatest victory in history. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Well, if, if, if that was Jesus' job's description, maybe it's your job description and my job description to save the world rather than to condemn the world. And, and frankly, and I'm being really honest here, and I might get some hate mail for this, but I see a lot of Christians being tribalistic and condemning those sinners out there rather than saying, what does it mean for me to quietly, honestly, decently stand up for biblical truth, stand up for the good news of Jesus without beating these people up over the head? Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have your own story of how you've gone through some circumstances, living out your faith when things have been hostile around you. Our special guest is Bernie Dimit. Bernie leads Christianity Works, the Christianity Works website, ChristianityWorks.com. There's even a free booklet you can get a hold of when you go on to the Christianity Works website, The Grace Transformation. We'll talk about that shortly. Bernie, let me ask you about, uh, there's another context in all of this. Because we might find ourselves in hostile situations as Christian believers, uh, but when we talk about the role of believers in a hostile world, what can we glean from a biblical understanding of what we're doing here in the first place? Yeah, look, I love going to, to Peter's epistles because Peter is writing to persecuted Christians. Now, there's some debate as to how persecuted these Christians were, but there's no doubt that he was writing to the diaspora, the dispersion of Christians um, under persecution. And there were some terrible things going on in these people's lives, like truly terrible stuff, the sort of stuff we were talking about earlier um, in North Korea and and different parts of um, the world. And and one of the things he writes, and this is a really familiar passage, passage, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Now, we who, who are Christians, who, who study the Bible, we know that passage really well. And one of the things we do is we tend to skim over passages that we know really well, right? We are, oh, yeah, I like that one. I'm a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation, God's own people. But then Peter goes on writing to these persecuted Christians to say, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. So why are we a chosen race? Why are we a royal priesthood? Why are we a holy nation, God's own people? Answer, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? So that we can go and tell people about God. So we can go and tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives. Not so we can beat them over the head. Not so that we can criticize them. Not so we can tell them how wrong they are. Not so that we can get our team to beat their team. 
but in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. My executive summary of that is that we're not called to win the argument, we're called to win souls. And this comes back to what you raised earlier, Neil, our heart attitude. Do we want to talk with people about the things of God in order to beat them, in order to win or do we have a compassion for the lost who are headed into more darkness to share the love of Christ with them, even though many of them don't want to hear, even though many of them will persecute us for it? What's our motivation? There's the job description. Proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Let me just zero in on something here and the thought around argument. Now, sometimes people might say there's not much difference between my usual discussions and what some people think is an argument. And I was just in a conversation, I think it was just yesterday, where someone was describing a Middle Eastern conversation that uh, to the Aussie viewer looked a whole lot more like an open argument than it did just contending and having a friendly get-together. There is a sense, isn't there, Mm -hmm. that sometimes in the tension of a heated conversation or even an argument that truth is somewhere in there and we might not be articulating that as what uh, our side of truth might be, but in the argument comes those new points never been considered before by the other side and so out of the argument comes... an understanding, a more deep appreciation of where truth might lie. Any thoughts here? Because, uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, some people in in their usual everyday conversations, it's a little bit more heated than just a a, a courteous niceness. Oh, not in my life, in yours. (laughs) (laughs) Arguments happen, right? Like that bumper sticker says, stuff happens. Um, and, and yes, there, there is sometimes a case of, of friction and, and um, iron sharpening iron. But when you go to the New Testament again, we're called to share the hope that we have in Christ, to give a defense of that, but to do it with kindness, to do it with gentleness. Now, Neil, you and I, because of the jobs that we have, because of what we do, Come on, we're more talkers than listeners, right? Uh, We're used to speaking a lot. That's what we do for a a quid. And and this is why uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 really powerfully speaks to me. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, let's just unpack that for a bit we all know we should listen before we speak right we, we get that and we should be slow to anger we shouldn't have a hair trigger i love how this starts off be quick to listen i don't think we christians are very good at that i have the truth i know the truth and of course if we believe what the word of god says we do know the truth we do have the truth but if you're talking to someone Um, who absolutely believes, let's say, for example, that abortion is fine. Can I tell you, I didn't become a Christian until age 36, right? And I led a very self-centered, secular life. And up until I gave my life to Christ, or should I say more theologically correctly, up until Jesus came to seek me out, I thought abortion was fine. I, I had no problem with abortion. After all, 
um, why not get rid of the fetus rather than bring an unwanted child into the world? And then I had a very powerful conversion experience and, and I came to a faith in Christ. That was a quarter of a century ago. And without even thinking, my attitude on abortion changed 180 degrees. Uh, if, if, if a heart starts beating after 22 days, there's life. I mean, what else would it be if there's a heart beating? And the Bible's clear that God creates us in our mother's womb. So I've sat on both sides of this particular argument. And I completely understand why, if you don't believe in God, you would say that abortion is fine. Why don't we try and understand the other person first, rather than trying to shut them down? Why are we not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? For your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I wonder for anybody who's listening, who's experienced the anger of another person recently, how positive was that experience? To what extent did that person's anger convert you to their opinion? The answer is it almost never happens. So, yeah, there is debate, and, and we should have good, solid debate. You know, if you, look at, if you look at Parliament, our whole parliamentary system is based on an adversarial approach. Our legal system is based on an adversarial approach. That's how it works. I have no problem with vociferous debate. But when we become vitriolic, when, when we start playing the man instead of the ball, um, I, I just think we get that wrong. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Fran is in stall in Victoria. Hi, Fran. Welcome along. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Um, well, um, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to say something, but now you've said be quick, I won't be able to say what I was going to say fully. But um, there was this chap down here when I was having my getting ready for my daughter's wedding in um, Packington Street in Newtown, right? We were in the shop, and then I heard him outside, and he had a microphone on his around near his mouth, and he seemed he wasn't offensive at all, as well as I say first, but. He was talking about Jesus and saying, and no one was coming near him, right? And then my daughter and I come out of this place. We were having our nails done. Anyway, that's another story. And um, ready for my daughter's wedding. And so we came out, and there's a big shopping centre back there, and he's just standing in the middle out there near where the people come in and out. And he's telling people about God and Jesus. And you, um, he said a few scriptures, which were good, I thought. And then... My daughter said, no, don't go. But I did. And he handed me this card and says, tremble at thy word and a ministry of the Lord, right? And he, um, I just wanted to know your opinion on that. But I found him not offensive. And then later when we went out down further down near the shops, he was walking around telling people about Jesus. But he wasn't offensive like someone came to stall here years ago. Don't need that letter back in. I don't know. Fran, we're going to actually take a break for the news. That's why we needed to be quick. But uh, what I'm going to do is uh, we'll get Bernie and his thoughts on that story uh, after our news. So uh, if you're happy to wait for his response till after news, that'd be wonderful. Bernie Dimit is our guest. Bernie, just reflecting back to a call we got just before the news from Fran in Storwell in, in Victoria. Well, Fran was telling the story. She said uh, there was a man on the street... At her local shopping centre, she just had her nails done, 
uh, talking about Jesus. He was using some scriptures. They were not really confrontational. And I think we'd call him a street preacher. And I think Fran's question was around just how effective this sort of approach is today. What's your response for Fran? Look, whenever the word of God is proclaimed, God can do amazing things. So I'm not prepared to criticize the guy and say he should sit down and be quiet. Do I think it's the most effective way of engaging people who consider Christianity to be irrelevant at best and dangerous at worst um, with the love of Jesus Christ? Probably not. It's probably not the most effective way. But hey, God used a donkey in the Old Testament, and if he can use donkeys like you and me, brother, um, he can use this guy out on the street. Um, I, I really encourage us, us together, as people of God, to think about how would you react to something like that? Um, personally, because I can remember before I came to faith in Christ, I would have just laughed at the guy and walked past him. Um, it, it took a time for God to get into my heart. Interestingly, when I was at Bible college, one of the things that uh, that we were taught was that on average, it takes people 15 meaningful interactions uh, to come to faith in Christ. 15 meaningful gospel interactions. Man, Neil, someone might be having a meaningful gospel interaction right now as you and I chat. Maybe someone had interaction number seven when they walked past that guy outside the nail shop in store. I don't know. But I'd encourage us to try and be sensitive to where people are at and to understand where people are at because it's a privilege to me to be a Christian in a hostile world. It's a privilege for us to carry the most beautiful, the most wondrous message, the love of God in Jesus Christ into a hostile world. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a real privilege now. It is. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Peter is in Adelaide. Hello, Peter. Welcome along. Thank you. Good morning. Yes, um... As you were talking, Bernie, I was just reflecting on when I was um, uh, uh, confronted with a uh, street preacher. Well, not confronted, but I kind of felt sorry for the guy, so I stood there for a while listening to him. <laughs> I was only two metres away, and he never took one notice of me. But uh, that's not what I was going to talk about. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were uh, about fleeing persecution. Good thoughts here, Peter, because there's some reactions that we can have when we find ourselves under pressure. Uh, the thought of fleeing. Bernie, your thoughts for Peter? Look, it depends on what sort of persecution it is, and it depends on what God's doing at the time. Fleeing, I'm not sure that, that in our country we need to flee persecution, although I can imagine a situation where someone in a workplace is being terribly persecuted um, by a boss or by, by colleagues because of their, their Christian faith, because of their beliefs. I remember sitting around a dinner table full of people who weren't Christians around the time that the whole Israel Falau thing worked, and there were some pretty accusatory looks when they asked me what I thought 
about the Israel Folau situation. I just think we need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, sometimes it is time to pull back. Sometimes we have to have the wisdom to be quiet and just let people speak. Other times we have to have the courage to speak up, no matter what the cost may be to us. So I don't think I have a generalised thing. If, if I were in North Korea um, and had the chance of saving my family, I'd be going seriously before God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? But if I use that example of a person in a workplace here in Australia who's being persecuted by their boss for their Christian faith, hey, maybe God's got that person in that place for the very reason of sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. We just don't know what God's up to, and that's why I think we have to be really sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit, so important here, because we think of that word discernment. Is it time for me to speak up and perhaps risk the ire of those who might be persecuting me? It might even be the boss. I might even have my job on the line. Or is this a time to hold my tongue and wait for a better opportunity? So discernment, a very important word here, Bernie. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking because I really relate to the Apostle Paul. He persecuted Christians. And I used to hate you Christians, right? You are so smug and self-righteous and so goody two-shoes. I made it my business to persecute um, Christians. And, and all that time while I was being that person, Two of the Christians I persecuted prayed for me for 18 years to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I was a totally hopeless case. I'm telling you, there was no way that I would ever become a Christian. And yet here we are today um, talking about the things of God. So you never know what God's up to. And it, it's a lot to do with what's he calling you to do in that space. And if all you can do is pray for a person, then let me tell you, that's the most powerful thing you can possibly do, because when we pray, we're inviting God into that space. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own question or comment, your own story of facing some hostility as a believer. Let's take another call. Mark is in Yarrawonga in Victoria. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Yeah. Hi, Neil. I'm calling about uh, you were discussing the trap of falling into an argument. Yep. I find the best strategy is to ask genuine questions. And the, the, the other benefit of that is that um, you're never wrong. That's the slow, to, the slow to speak, quick to listen principle too, isn't it? If you're asking questions. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mark, let's get a thought or two from Bernie. Yeah, questions are really, really good things to do. Ultimately, there comes a point when we have to share our faith. But questions are such a good thing to get the other person talking, and not just questions for the sake of asking questions, but truly understanding why they believe what they believe. I, I just don't think, for me, that's been something I've had to learn and I continue to learn um, because my gift is to be a talker and I'm not such a great listener. But listening to, to someone's heart and the reality of what's going on in their life and, and what they've been through and their hurts and their pains and, and why they have objections to things that Christians believe is such a wonderful thing to do. It's about engagement. It's about relationship. Maybe it takes five years, ten years to build a bridge into someone's life 
But one day, Jesus may well walk across that bridge and questions are a great building block to that bridge. Mark, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. There is a temptation, isn't there, Bernie, to become defensive when we are feeling as though there is a hostile environment. Uh, We may well try to avoid that conflict and uh, you know people who talk about resolving conflict they say that you know you should not necessarily be avoiding uh, conflict you need to sometimes confront these things head on uh, there's also another way we can react to the uh, the challenges that are around and there might be some significant challenge not just to us personally but to us as a church uh, i'm just thinking of you know the the thought of you know, schools indoctrinating our children with all sorts of uh, badly uh, non-biblical ideas or even the possibilities mm-hmm. of undermining our churches. Somebody's got to get up there and be in the argument, so to speak, the contending for faith to be able to defend the freedoms that are hard won or that have come from our heritage. Any thoughts here? Because sometimes there's those sorts of conflicts, those sorts of tensions that need to have as someone standing up and being strong. Absolutely. And and they're very real situations where we do have to stand up. The question is, and I come back to that, that, that phrase that you used, Neil, what's the motivation of our heart? Am I here to defend my freedoms Or am I here to speak up for the truth of God? If you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, many of them had very unpleasant things to say, although they were saying them to God's people, but to God's people who had strayed. And sometimes we have to say unpleasant things. Sometimes the truth is unpleasant to people. What's the motivation of our heart? Is it to win the argument or is it with a simple belief that the word of God has to be shared. I mean, what's being taught in schools is a perfect example. Um, and, and standing up and saying, look, I'm sorry, but, but I won't allow my children to be taught that is going to be very unpopular. Are we doing it in love or are we doing it out of anger where we have a biblical orthodoxy that's devoid of Christian love? I think that's the question. I am not saying for one minute that we should water down the gospel. I am not saying for one minute that we shouldn't speak the things of God when they need to be spoken out in the public square, whether it be at a school meeting or whether it be anywhere else. The question is, are we doing it with the right motivation? Are we doing it with love? Are we doing it with love? Because when that steamroller comes through and wants to uh, squeeze out our... Uh, biblical foundations Uh, the temptation Mm -hmm. may be to compromise but we're reminded of jesus words if you love me keep my commands that means there are going to be some things that are absolute that you need to stand for these things are truth and in following christ those things we need to have that courage to stand we're taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's hear from chris in melbourne hello chris welcome along Uh, Neil and guest um yeah, I just want to say something. I, I understand when he says you have to build relationships and someone taking into 18 years, it takes time, but not everybody has that insight that, you know, that person will be alive for that long. So when someone's trying to preach the gospel, I guess they're trying to 
tell them about Jesus um, pretty quickly and what what that entails and uh, that their salvation uh, you know depends on it and uh, it's heaven or hell. So and also I, I didn't hear it properly, but you were saying you didn't think that tracks or reading out the Word of God is the uh, best way to go. But um, you know sometimes that might be all that that's that person's gift and. He may not be confident in other things, and you shouldn't put out the Spirit's fire. That's all I'm saying. I don't think anyone mentioned yep. tracts or handing out booklets and such things like that, uh, although there was a discernment uh, in what might be best methods, uh, preaching the gospel today, making that proclamation. Uh, Bernie, uh, there is a, an element of uh, tracts or booklets and those sorts of things that you might want to hand out that are very, very powerful. Oh, absolutely. Some of them are awful and some of them powerful. God can use the awful ones too. And and I pick up this point of sometimes there isn't the time to build a relationship over five or ten years. Sometimes there's a need to speak the truth now. Let me tell you something, Neil. If you and I were in a tandem jump, um, a skydiving jump, and we had 60 seconds because our parachute wasn't opening, the one thing that I would tell you is the truth of the gospel and the need to repent. If I only had 60 seconds with a person, that is what I would tell them. And sometimes when our loved ones are on the hospital bed and they're dying, um, sometimes we've just got to tell them and leave it to God uh, to use that as he will. Because it's not you or me that saves them. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts them of sin and of righteousness um, and opens the door to the kingdom of heaven. So I totally agree. Sometimes you don't have that time. Booklets, tracts, hey, absolutely. Um, you have no idea. I was sitting with um, a, a woman, I won't say which state, um, just recently who who pulled out one of the booklets that I'd written um, about the Holy Spirit and with tears running down her eyes said, this absolutely transformed my life and my walk with Jesus. Who knows how God can use booklets or tracts? Although I would say, honestly, in this day and age, uh, we should have the decency and the goodness to design them well because often bad design can be a roadblock because we've been shoddy in how we've produced it. People might disagree with me, but, but I think we should remove as many roadblocks as we can between that person and the gospel. Chris, thank you so much for your great insight there. 1-800-316-316. Time is a little short. Let's talk about the sort of, you know, we've been talking about your attitude, your motivation, those sorts of things. If you're in a circumstance, and we did talk about, you know, if you're under pressure in your workplace and maybe there's some level of uh, pressure that you're under because of your boss, it could be other workmates, it could be, there could be middle managers, there could be all sorts of people you're working with. You've got to have some level of courage to be able to face the challenges in a hostile world. Where do these things come from? Something that wells up within us. It must come from perhaps time with God. What are your thoughts here about having that character forged in such a way that you can withstand the challenges in a hostile world today, Bernie? Courage is an interesting concept. You only need courage when you're afraid, right? By definition, courage is only required when you are afraid. And if I look at the Christians who were in my life who played a major part in me coming to faith, I was someone to fear 
I can cut a man in half at 30 paces with my words, and I have done um, in the past in my life. And each of these people just stuck with me. I remember when, when I was going through a really difficult time and, and the wife of one of my business partners walked out to where I was staying and gave me my first Bible. That involved incredible courage given who I am. And I think at some point we have to say, you know what, I might get laughed at, I might get rejected, I might get abused, I might suffer loss if I share the good news of Jesus with this person or that, but you know what, I'm going to do it anyway because that's what Jesus has called me to do. And and I I just think our relationship with the Lord, um, our prayer time, the time we spend in God's word, and just giving the Holy Spirit time and space to lead us in a certain direction with a certain person are so incredibly important. When you're talking courage, uh, the opposite, of course, is having that fear of what might eventuate in speaking into a situation, even when your motive is right. Uh, Reminded of that scripture, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell there's another context thing here Uh, God says I'm bigger than every one of the enemies you might think about or those who might be persecuting you or hurting you there is a sense here in which uh, fear of God here is actually a powerful factor in having courage too Bernie a powerful motivator. And to pick up on what Jesus said, he said, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever tries to save their life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. Now, we in our country can take that metaphorically. But at the end of the day, the question for any Christian is, are you prepared to lay down your whole life for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the one who laid down his life so that you might have the gift of eternal life. That's the question. Am I prepared to take up my cross? And I'm not sure that courage is the opposite of fear. Courage is either there or not when we're afraid. I've done a lot of things afraid in my life, and I'm sure you have too. And you may not have thought, thought of yourself as being courageous, other people look at you, they think, boy, that, was a, that took a lot of courage. But at the time, we just feel weak and feeble and fearful, but we go and do the things of God anyway. And there is such a great joy and such a great reward in that when we step out in faith and trust Jesus. Well, we're in no doubt the world is becoming more hostile, especially to the Christian who holds to a biblical view, who wants to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, But let me come back to something that you said earlier as we sort of bring some loose ends together here. It might be a more hostile world we're living in, uh, but we want to thrive in this hostile world, Bernie. And I think you even said earlier, uh, there are opportunities that come in this hostility that we need to be prepared to see, you know, God's hand in divinely appointed opportunities. Uh, Thoughts here as we just draw things together? Look, it depends on how we look at life. Oh, I'm being persecuted. Oh, the world is hostile. Of course it is. But blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice 
and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before me. Persecution is going to come. That's just a fact of life. I think Jesus wants us to thrive in the middle of this. Not thrive in a worldly sense, but thrive in a kingdom sense where we just lay down our lives and we experience the joy of doing the things of God even when the world hates us. They hated him so much, man, they crucified him. Well, I'd love to connect listeners to you today, Bernie. A connection with Bernie Diamond, ChristianityWorks.com. Uh, Bernie, you've got a free booklet on offer for listeners. Uh, they go to your website today, ChristianityWorks.com. It's called The Grace Transformation. Uh, you'll happily send that to listeners if they want one. Absolutely. If you want a free copy of that book, The Grace Transformation, because God's grace not only forgives us for sin, but sets us free from sin. God's grace is life transformational. And, and that's what this booklet is all about, how the grace of God can utterly change your life. Well, you'll be able to access that free booklet when you go to ChristianityWorks.com. ChristianityWorks.com. And uh, it's the name of Bernie's radio program that you can hear on a Sunday just after midday Eastern, just after 10 in the West. Uh, you can also hear a different perspective each evening at 9.45 Eastern, so 7.45 in the West. Bernie Diamond, always wonderful to get your insights. Uh, great wisdom. Thanks so much for sharing those with us today on 2020. Great to be, be with you, brother. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.